Welcome to Sermons from the Edge, a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota, a place where it's okay to not be okay, where you can come and you belong just as you are, no matter what you're facing. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. We just want to big a, a big um, Edge round of applause to uh, Mr. Tyler Grant. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's my privilege to, to be with all of you, and uh, I know uh, quite a few of you. We've uh, uh, known each other for a while now because I'm pretty connected to Pastor Chuck and Pastor Steph in, in a lot of ways. We, we went to school together, and I, I know by uh, looking at me, you can tell that I'm much younger than them. Uh, I'm just teasing. Uh, and uh, I have the privilege of hanging out uh, with Reed and Hank uh, because we're on staff together. And uh, we, we just uh, love uh, Reed and Hank. And, uh, and Reed has got a sense of humor, doesn't he? And it's, it's, it's a bit of a dry sense of humor. So every once in a while, I'll walk away going, I think that's funny. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, anyway, uh, uh, so uh, I feel connected here. And when uh, Pastor Chuck uh, asked me to come and fill in today, uh, I, I jumped at the chance. Uh, Pastor Mike, I'm on staff at Rochester Assembly um, of God. My position there is the salts pastor. So 55 um, to win. Uh, all right, so uh, so 55 to win, and uh, we treat it just like a, a reverse youth group. It's it's awesome. We have our own events. We uh, we do some ministry stuff together. Except uh, this way, uh, this time I can leave when I want. Uh, like uh, I, the other day, I said, "Man, I'm I'm out. I'm 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 tired." And uh, they looked at me and went, <laughs> "That's right, to work tomorrow." <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so anyway, it's it's uh, definitely my my privilege to be here. Um, this is a great great space for all of you. You didn't have it the last time I was here. I also got to bring uh, Teen Challenge, the Teen Challenge Choir here, uh, a couple of times over the past years because uh, when we first moved to Rochester in 2014, that was the first time we've come back a second time now. But the first time I served as uh, the chaplain at Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge Rochester. So, uh, and I remember you always. Uh, rented out a, a spot for us, and uh, we usually came over Thanksgiving or uh, Christmas, was it Easter? Oh, I used to get up and say when I was pastoring uh, to the people, since I won't see some of you till next Easter, have a Merry Christmas, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we, just, we just had a great, a great time. If you wouldn't mind uh, turning in your Bible to uh, 1 Samuel 18, I know that you're all in a series uh, studying the life of David, and we, we have a lot of information about David. Uh, a lot is written about him in the Old Testament, which I, I appreciate because we get, to, we get to know where he comes from. As you've discovered, uh, that he was anointed by Samuel and his own father, out of all his sons, his own father didn't choose him, didn't call him in from the field. Uh, uh, when Samuel asked for all his sons to come in, uh, David was left out in the field. And then uh, the, the famous line is that God looks on the heart and outward appearance. Aren't you glad? 
Aren't you glad that God's measuring stick for your self-image, for who you are, is very, very different than the world system? And we, we get to live uh, from the kingdom system, from the spirit system, from Jesus Christ's yeah. system, because I now get to develop my self-image based on the truth of God plus being in Christ equals a feel about myself. Uh, instead of your performance plus the opinion of others plus the opinion of yourself equals how you get to feel about yourself. Do you see how wicked that is? And we, we learn about David. David is anointed. God looks at his heart. We all, uh, David uh, sometimes gives me some trouble uh, because uh, he just does stuff. That is stupid. <laughs> that, that, that is just dumb. And yet at the end of his life, or even in the middle of it, he senses that God is for him and not against him. That he has, and even God at the end of his life, and even in the middle of it, Psalms 51 and Psalms 35 and other places, even in the middle of it, you know, sense that David has a right theology about God, and God's attitude toward David is what? This is a man after what? Hmm. Really? Really? Uh, we, we, we discover that about David. There's a lot uh, to discover about David. And so when Pastor Chuck uh, told me that you were studying his life and my assignment would be 1 Samuel 18, I realized in all the years of ministry that I've, that I've been in that I have never spoken on 1 Samuel 18 in the way that I'm going to uh, right now. So I, I didn't pull this out of my file. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't go on the computer and, and pull, it, pull it from someone else. But uh, I, I realized that I have never spoken on 1 Samuel 18 the way that I'm going to now. The bottom of uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, you'll notice uh, that uh, Saul is the king. Saul is the king, and he's standing there uh, with his, the main guy, his main general from his army. He's standing there, and they're watching David go out to face Goliath. You remember the story in 1 Samuel 17, don't you? They're watching David go out and face Goliath, and my first thought is, why is the general and the king standing there when they're supposed to be leading the charge in battle. Why, why are they letting this young man do it? To miss out on what God could have done through their lives because they're afraid, because they lack faith, because they see the giant, because they're looking at their circumstances instead of their God. So they're standing there looking, watching David, and Saul turns to Abner and he says, Who's, whose son is that? Whose son is that? I mean, this question you could probably just ask, who is that? But in their culture, it was important. Who, who's, whose son is that? And by the way, fathers, you play a vital role uh, in your son's lives too, right? Uh, you, you play a vital role in your son's lives. So Saul turns to Abner and he says, Whose son is that? And Abner says, as the king lives. I kind of love that, that, that kind of language because I don't use it anymore or ever. 
<laughs> As the king lives, I don't know. So after he gets done killing Goliath, and we all know that story, Abner comes and gets David and takes him to the king. And it says, you can read it in 1 Samuel 18, it says that as they're taking, Abner is taking him to the king, David has the head of Goliath in his hand. You might say uh, that day that David was able to show Abner and King Saul that he was a man that knew how to get ahead. <laughs> uh, I couldn't help it. It's, it's, a, it's amazing what a guy will say under the anointing. Um, he, he goes in front of them. He asks them, who's your father? And David says, Jesse from Bethlehem. Jonathan, King Saul's son, must have been in the room, must have been there during that gathering. Can you see it in 1 Samuel 18? By the way, I did have some slides, but I'm, I'm 59, and me and slides, I'm, I'm calling them slides. That should tell you something. Uh, uh, PowerPoint, all that. Uh, so I, I'm just going to do it the old-fashioned way, all right? Uh, I had to repent for my attitude over those slides. <laughs> so Jonathan must have been in the room. He hears David speaking, and it says that he became one in spirit with David. He, he, he became one in spirit, and I'd like to just take a side note and talk about relationships, because apparently Jonathan is, and we're going to find out uh, uh, later, that Jonathan is willing to lay aside because he's the king's son. When the king dies, who usually takes control of the throne? When the king dies, the son usually takes control of the king's throne. He's next in line. Jonathan doesn't seem to care about that after this moment because what he's looking out for is David's best interest. And I think that's a key to having relationships in your life. You always strive with the Lord's help. Do you not love people the way that you're supposed to love them without the Spirit of God in you? I I'm too selfish. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm too conceited. I, I used to be conceited, and now I'm just convinced. Right? Uh, but anyway, I, I, you need, you'll get that in just a second. <laughs> you need the Spirit of God in your life to love people the way that we're supposed to love them, right? And by the way, what's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To me, loving your neighbor means that you're others focused, that I strive to do what's best for you. So when I walked in this room uh, this morning, I did not think about, uh, I wonder if they're going to like me. I wonder if they're going to like my preaching. I wonder uh, what I should say. 
No, no, I, I, I don't have to do that anymore because of Christ. Because I get to walk in the room and be others focused. What a freedom that is. And by the way, you don't have to respond to me in any kind of way. I like it when you're nice to me. I like it when you'll like what I'm saying and preaching. The verdict is still out, I know. I got 29 minutes and four seconds. <laughs> the verdict is still out, I know, but isn't it freeing to know that I can walk in the room and listen for the Spirit of God and be others-focused? Here's a principle that I live by in relationships. Not only that, I need to be others-focused and do what's best for you. Sometimes the best thing that I can do for you is say no. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have some boundaries. Uh, the best thing I could do for my boys when they were growing up was to tell them no once in a while. You're not going to act a fool in the grocery store and expect a Butterfinger afterward. No. Some of you need to put the practice, put it in the tongue mouth and saying no. Because the best thing that you could do for that person. That's the best thing that you could do for that person. Here's a principle that I live by. Love desires to give at the expense of myself for the benefit of someone else because love desires to give. Let me say it again. Love desires to give at the expense of myself for the benefit of someone else because love desires to give. Now, I think the opposite of love is lust. Here, here's my statement about lust. Lust desires to get for the benefit of myself at the expense of someone else because lust desires to get. You can always know when you're lusting someone or lusting something because uh, you're desiring to get at their expense. And let me, let me ask you this. If you're lusting something, how much is enough? If lust is your motivation in relationship, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? You can tell when you're lusting something or someone and you're out of boundary because you're never satisfied. What does the Bible say that love is? Easily, come on, help me a little. Come on, love is what? Easily what? Satisfied, I'll help you. You can know when you're loving something or someone because it satisfies you. You can know when you're lusting something or someone because you're never satisfied. Jonathan seems to be moving in the love area. He's willing to sacrifice his own position, his own place to look after David. And that's going to cost him in the next few chapters. Relationships, we all need them. We all want them. We got to have them. We're not designed to live by ourselves. So you can move into relationships knowing that you get to do what's best for someone and you get to Love them. And you also get to love yourself. That's, a, that's pretty sweet, too. So from that point on, David doesn't get to go home or go 
home to live with his fathers and his brothers because Saul keeps him with him. So he's having a major change in his life. He goes from killing Goliath to living in the king's palace, and he he got uh, the the king starts sending him out uh, to war. He he becomes in charge of the war piece uh, of the kingdom. The king starts sending him out, and depending on what translation you have, uh, he's successful. Everywhere he goes, everything he puts his hand to, everything is moving on up. Everything. My future's so bright, i got to wear shades. Uh, everything he touches is moving on up. So much so that one time, King Saul and David are coming back into Jerusalem, and there's a big celebration because they've won. Can you all hear me all right? Is this, is this right? Okay. Uh, there's a big celebration. People are in the streets. Can you imagine being part of that? Uh, people are in the streets, and there's a whole bunch of ladies there, and they're singing, Saul. I won't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain how many? Oh, and some, uh, a good leader, celebrated the fact that they won. That he's got a right-hand man that what etches turns to gold because gold seems to trickle down. But not Saul. Saul gets jealous. And whenever you let jealousy and bitterness Get in your spirit. You are opening yourself up for a spirit that you don't like. You are opening yourself up with G and bitterness and all of those kind of things. And that's what happens to Saul. He gets jealous. And from then on, it says that he keeps an eye, a jealous eye on David. And jealousy will make you crazy. It will make you believe are there that aren't. Can you all see me all right? Okay. I'm not real thin. Not too concerned about it because you can always tell a man's on the level when his bubble's in the middle, right? So uh, yeah, you'll get that too, all right? I'm sorry. Uh, Jealousy, and it says that's exactly what happens. But it says that the Lord sent a spirit to agitate Saul. Can you see that there? This one took me a while. Like, what? What, what is that? What is that? And I think it was because he was open to it already, because of his own attitude, because of his own jealousy, because of those things, that that spirit was able to come upon him. Let me, let me take a side note and, and say something to you. I believe that your theology about God, what you think about God, is the most important thing about you. I believe that the most important thing about you is what you think about God the Father. And... and 
every Old Testament image, every line in the Old Testament that I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand this verse where it says that initiated an evil spirit coming to Saul. I don't quite get it. Now, I could make an explanation, and I just tried to. <clears throat> Sorry, I just tried to. Uh, I just tried to where I think he was open to it because of jealousy and bitterness and all of that kind of thing, that that spirit could latch on. But I'm here to say to you that every Old Testament, every child, every image that you have of God does, that does not line up with Jesus Christ, you need to destroy. One of the most important things you can do in your life is to tear down an image. If you've got a false image of God, you need to ask the Spirit of God to come into your life and help you tear that image down. Every image of God the Father that does not line up with Jesus Christ, that does not act like Christ, you need to tear down. Another, most, one of the most powerful things you can do in your life is, uh, after you tear down an image, you need to build one up. Because none of you in this room, just by looking at you, do empty very well. You're going to fill your life up with something. And if you're always, your Christianity is always about tearing down something and never building something up, never building yourself up, you're missing it. You're missing it. If your primary motive about your Christian life is repentance with, or resisting the devil without submitting to God, you've got to fill yourself some, somehow with something that's why in James it says, submit to God and then resist the devil. And then he will flee from you. If you're always resisting first without submitting and getting filled up, you got nothing to resist with. Are you all still here? You're all right, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, this part's going to be for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God the Father. So every, every Old Testament image that I don't understand, uh, uh, sometimes every Old Testament image that I do understand, every childhood image, everything that doesn't measure up or look like Jesus Christ has to submit itself to him in my theology, in my mind, and the way I think about God. If you think that God is out to get you, if you think that he's out to punish you, if that every mistake that you're going to make will be somehow paid for, how will you ever draw close to him? If you don't think he likes you, how, have you had an uncle or a grandparent or somebody or a teacher who didn't like you? Did you want to be close to them? Well, no, you didn't. You might have tried. But if you believe that God actually likes you, I think God is in a good mood when it comes to me. I think he's in a good mood when it comes to me because of Jesus. He's not always in a good mood because of what I do. I also sense him kind of shaking his head like, are, are, you, are you really, you really going to go there? Well, yes, yes, I am. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Your image of God is the most important thing about you. So I, I did wrestle over that part of this passage. 
Back to David. David goes from the pinnacle. He's killed Goliath, took his head to the king, moved into the king's palace, uh, running through the streets. David has killed his ten thousands, and then all of a sudden on a dime, boom, it seems that a run for his life because whenever Saul was tormented, David would go in and play the harp or play an instrument. And where did he learn to do that? In the fields when he's a shepherd. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise where you are now. I, six months ago, I didn't know that I would be here this Sunday, but I'm enjoying it. I don't know about you. But I am. Don't despise small beginnings. Start where you are. Some of you are so worried about the will of God that you don't even know yet that you're not even participating or developing in the will of God that you do know right now, today. I'll open the door. You ever thought, two and a half years ago, did you think that I thought that I would be the senior adults pastor at Rochester Assembly? 55 to win? No, I didn't. But I, I, I'm glad I am. Start where you are now. So David goes in and he sings. Ah, the, my, fa my favorite one of his is, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. I won't do that anymore, sorry. <laughs> my, album, my albums will be in the back there. If you donate over $20, I'll give you an autographed picture of Jesus, all right? So, all right. All right. He knew he could be there because he'd been there before. And the Lord used him. And then all of a sudden, because of Saul's jealousy, he has a spear by him. He does that twice. He went from the pinnacle to running for his life. And that stage of his life you're going to get into in 19 and uh, throughout, that stage of his life, depending on how you count it, lasted anywhere between seven and ten years. Running for his life, he's supposed, isn't he supposed to be the king? Is he anointed the king already? He's supposed to... Be the supposed to live in that promise. And yet, for 10 years, he's got to wait on God. And here's another principle. You're going to have to make friends with God's timing because if you don't, you'll always be half mad. I know that people say God's timing is always perfect. I hate that. <laughs> because in my mind, he's always a bit slow. And looking back on my life, I know that's true. I, I know that his timing is perfect. But when you're going through it and when there's a delay from the promise to the actual deliverance of the promise, that's painful. That's a fight, isn't it? It's a fight. It's painful when there's a delay, when you've been promised something and then there's a delay before the manifestation of that in your own life. That's painful. And he's experiencing it. Right now, in chapter 18, it's going to start, 
And again, for seven to ten years, he's going to run. In that time, in that delay time, what do you do? Well, David teaches us a lot in the Psalms. You ever recognize how honest he is with God? He's honest with his feelings. Have you ever, have you ever recognized that in the Psalms? Oh, I'm so thankful. Because in the midst of the delay, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the turmoil of life, I can be honest with God. And I'm still standing up. I didn't get hit by lightning. And David teaches you that. Some of you are too sanitized or Christianized in your approach to God. You, you think you got to sanitize it. Well, <laughs> and I sense him going, I already, oh, I never sensed him myself. I didn't know you were thinking that. You see, David teaches that you can be honest. If you can't be honest with God, you don't have a fighting chance in being honest with anyone else. Even yourself. He teaches you that you can be honest. Another thing that I've learned from studying David or just recently is I can either allow my life to be defined by my circumstances or I can allow my life to be primarily defined by the promise of God. Doesn't mean that you ignore your circumstances. That's a false kind of faith. Any kind of faith that says to you, uh, you don't have a cold, you just have a symptom of a cold. No. I got Kleenex in my pocket because I got snot rolling out my nose. Any, any faith that asks you to deny your circumstances, you ought to be suspect of. But at the same time, you should be able to define yourself and God based on his promises primarily. Secondarily, your circumstances. How about that? Does that take some practice? Yes, especially if you're a half empty, half glass, a glass half empty kind of guy. And naturally, that's who I am. Naturally, that's who I am. But the Spirit of God is in me. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so are you. You are where and earth meet. How about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled about all, all this revival that seems to be taking place where heaven is coming to certain places and meeting earth. And by the way, is he here right now? Yes, how do you know? Because two or three, 50, 70 are here of us, and where we have gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. Now, you might be falling asleep. It's comfortable in here. These chairs are comfortable. This is the longest time any of you have, some of you have sat down all week long. I don't care if you fall asleep. But it doesn't mean that God is not here. He is here. Reach out to him. Call out to him. Lord, have mercy on me. 
You can either be defined by your circumstances, you can define God by your circumstances, or you can define God and yourself and your circumstances by the promise of God. Will that be challenged? Yes. We're, my wife and I are experiencing a challenging time right now. She has had seven surgeries in the last, six surgeries in the last 20 days. At Mayo, they opened her up for one thing. It just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And she's got to have another one in a week. That's after 13, 17 years ago having four brain surgeries. I, I counted up from the time she was a child till the time she's 54 right now. She's had 22 surgeries. This last time, I, I was ticked. Have you ever? Have you ever just been mad? Yeah. And I said to God, look, I'm tired of making excuses for you. I wouldn't make this many excuses for my own boys. I make excuses for you all the time. Well, she didn't get healed, but at least we got to witness to the nurse. Well, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted, but if you look, you'll see. I'm so tired of that. <laughs> and he let me be honest. And then I sensed him say, when I say say, I don't hear Tyler. I just get a sense. I sensed him say to me, do you, do you really feel like you got to help me? Well, when you put it that way, No. But it's so hard to struggle. Uh, this will be the first time, this will be the first Sunday that she's been to church in eight weeks. I was coming here, so we set it up with a couple in the church. They're going to put her in a wheelchair and take her to church. Wow. I didn't want to miss coming here. But we can be defined by the problem or defined by the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And he will help you walk through whatever trial, whatever temptation, and he will help you overcome your environment. Do you think that I've wanted to serve her the way I've had to all the time for eight weeks? At first I did. At first I was enthused. Oh, that's my number one ministry, my wife. Is my number one ministry. Lord, help me. And I was enthused. Man, I was guessing what she wanted before she wanted it, which is new. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was. I was. And then after a while, after a while, she'd wait till I just got set down. And then she'd remember. Oh, oh, I don't know. And then it became a joke because she can sense when I'm going to roll my eyes before I do. <laughs> it will take the power of God for you to triumph over your circumstance. He's either going to remove you from the circumstance or change the circumstance by a miracle or he's going to strengthen you to walk through it. And that can define you.
Come on, do you see? And you learn that from David. He's honest, and yet he triumphs, and he allows God's promise to be the defining thing in his life, and so can you. I deal with anxiety. I have some anxiety attacks that I wouldn't wish on my own worst enemy. You think I've asked God to take that away? Yeah. He doesn't seem overly interested. But the promise says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and mind. <laughs> be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, will pass, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind till the day of Christ Jesus. That's what I get to be defined by. I don't have to deny that I'm anxious. I am. I had a little bit right before this service. I had to go back there and pray. You think that makes me depend on God? Yes. It does. Because I know I ain't got it in myself. But I'm not defined by that anxiousness. I have it, but I'm not defined by it. I'm defined by be anxious for nothing but by prayer and something. God has given me a sound mind. Are you all still here? You all right? Yes, you are. Let God define you. I got three minutes and 35 seconds. Let God and his promise define you. You're either going to, in the delay... And it is delayed. You'll have a delay in your life from the promise to the deliverance of the problem. I don't know what that is except it draws you closer to God or can. Or you can get half ticked and just harden your heart. Let, let the delay define you. Let the de delay define you so that God can deliver his promises to you. Don't give up. Don't get passive. Stay in there. Let him fight for you. He will fight for you. <laughs> so he, go, he goes to running. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on forward. You'll notice at this part of his life, everything that David did was successful. I can't say that. I've had some failures in my life. Or the King James says that everything David did, he, per he performed or he behaved wisely. So do you think he deserved what was going on in his life from Saul? Here's another principle. You're going to have to get over the doctrine of fair. Fairness. If anyone deserves not to be as sick as my wife has been, it's her. I mean, she's lived with me. You're going to have to get over the doctrine of fairness. God doesn't seem to be into fair, but he is into abundant. He will reward you. He will. Don't grow weary in doing good.
even when those around you are falling apart, even when those around you are trying to pull you to hell. Don't grow weary in doing good because you will be rewarded either here, there, or as they say. I'm not going to get to heaven one day and have God say to me, well, Tyler, I was a little chintzy with you. Here's a little more. No, no, our God is a God of abundance. He will renew your mind. He will renew your spirit. He will. He will help you. It's, it's not going to be fair. You got you to gotta have a new grid. It's not fair. But it's good. And it is abundant. And David discovers it, doesn't he? Through all his troubles, he discovers it. And you will too. I like it. Bow your head, please. Sometimes life is just hard. And sometimes it's not from God. I don't believe that my wife's sickness is from God. But he turns it on its head and causes something good to come out of it. He pulls the rug out from under what was meant for evil. He pulls the rug out from under that and turns it into something good. And you would say to me, Tyler, God has promised me, but there's a delay. There's a delay, and I'm fighting. And not only is there delay, it looks like what's happening in my life is opposite of the promise, is opposite of what I've been promised. It's happening to me right now. And I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and let me pray for you that God will give you strength, that God will help you, and he will renew your ability to draw on him by faith and overcome your circumstance. Our family verse is... Um, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And in this world you will have trouble. But be at peace because I have overcome the world. My boys are trying to talk me into getting a tattoo that says overcomer. And if they get, if they get it on my bicep, it'll take way too much ink. I'm saying to you that he will help you overcome. You can define your life by his promise and not your weakness and not your circumstance but you'd say to me Tyler I'm, I'm like you I, I got lots of questions but I, I would say that I'm defining God and my life and myself based on my circumstance now and I need to repent I need to ask God to help me define my life and my circumstance based on his promise if that's you I want you to raise your hand please and yours too and yours too and yours back there I'm looking to my left I see yours I'm looking to my left I'm looking in the middle anybody else I'm looking to the right I see your hand and yours too sir and back there I see so you just talk to God the way that you want to the way that's natural for you he'll hear you I'm just going to pray over you father you see these folks that raise their hand you see them and Lord you know that because of circumstance because of what goes on in their mind and in their emotion because of things that have happened to them that have not been fair Lord they're questioning your goodness they're questioning Lord what your purpose is let them know first of all that you, 
You didn't design that for them because of Jesus. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? So, Lord, help them define themselves based on your promise. Define you based on your promise to them. We come against the enemy and anything that he would try to do to steal that from us now. I pray your anointing and your blessing over those that raise their hand today, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. For those of you that may not know Jesus in this room, maybe you haven't because you've defined God by a circumstance in your childhood, by, by something that's happened in your life, your, your theology about God doesn't include sin or being forgiven by sin, uh, of your sin by Jesus. I'm here to say to you that that theology is wrong. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life unto the Father. And you get to repent. You get to ask for forgiveness. You get to ask that the Spirit of God would come into you and give you a new life. The Scripture says that you are a new creation in Christ. You can't be a new creation unless you're in Christ. So I'm going to ask you every eye uh, head bowed and I... I was going to say head closed and eye bowed, but uh, you know what I mean. If you have not met Jesus in a personal way, if you've not asked for forgiveness or asked his spirit to come inside of you, the way I know how to do this is you simply ask. You repent. You ask him to come into your life. You say uh, with all sincerity that you have right now, I'll serve you the rest of my life and you trust him to help you and you will be made new if that's you I'd like you to raise your hand you need to receive Jesus you never have anybody alright I'd like you all just to take a look at me if you would on the way out I'd like you to proclaim a promise of God over I know for some of you, that would be very uncomfortable out loud. So in your head, but for some of you out loud, the one I proclaim is God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound. Is that true? Am I asking you to fake it till you make it? No. What a stupid thing that is. I don't have to fake nothing. Because that promise is as true and even more powerful than the fear that I had an hour and a half ago. Right? I'm not asking you to fake nothing. I'm just asking you to proclaim something of the promise of God over your life. Are you allowed to do so? Are you, are you a follower of Christ? Then you're allowed. Do not disqualify yourself because of your behavior. So, however you want to, just proclaim the promise of God over your life. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each person in this room. And now, I'm the promise of God over their life. I'm going to do it now. Uh, I, I don't have to be anxious for anything. But by prayer and supplication, I can let my request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard my heart and my mind until Christ Jesus. That promise is mine. 
Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That promise is ours. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. In this world, I will have trouble, but don't lose heart because Jesus Christ has overcome. That promise is yours. In my weakness, he will be made strong. So all the more, I will boast of my weakness so that the grace of Jesus Christ can even be evident in my life. Some of you are hiding because and this says to you, you can give it to God, and in your weakness, he will be made strong. That is a promise. Amen. So we're just going to pray and leave because I'm 33 seconds. So send them out with something kind of jazzy, will you? Uh, all right. None of, no, uh, I hear the brush up. None of that. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. All right, so because we do walk in victory. His victory, not mine. And it's mine before I experience it. So let's pray. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that we can proclaim the promises of God over our lives. We can live there even when circumstances tell us the opposite. Lord, so I pray for freedom for each person in this room. I pray, Lord, that proclamation of the promise of God would be on their lips. And, Lord, that they would trust you when, you're, when it doesn't seem fair and when your timing seems off and when the circumstances of life are hard. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to A Sermon from the Edge a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota. If the Lord has spoken to your heart through this message, we would love to hear about it. Contact information is available at winonaedge.org. Thanks for listening.